We are, as humans, the more we realize that we're not static, we're meant to change, depending on where we live, depending on the season, depending on life circumstances, our body changes with that. And so the more I've been able to embrace a changing body versus like holding on to an old image of the past, which doesn't serve me anymore, it has been really freeing. Welcome to Let's Thrive the Podcast, a place for holistic storytelling with none of the BS and a whole lot of fun. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and my mission is to interview guests that inspire, educate, and empower you to live your best life. In these stories, you will see a part of your own journey reflected in theirs and learn to grow from it. And with that said, let's thrive. Welcome back to Let's Drive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and this is about my third time recording this intro. <laughs> First, it was my throat would not quit, like cracking, crackalacking, every word I said. Uh, and then I recorded it and realized that I was way too robotic, you know, just wasn't feeling it. And so you know what they say, third time's a charm. So here we are, we are going at it. Uh, Welcome to the show and to my quirky little intros here if you're new, if you're just starting out on the episodes, if you're an OG listener, welcome back as always. Pleasure to have you here wherever you're listening, wherever you're listening from. Uh, It was so neat. The other night I actually got a DM from one of you and you were based in Germany and you said you had been a fan of the podcast for a while now and It was just so neat because you were sharing the story about how you started listening to the podcast while you would run on the treadmill and you kind of knew you had an issue, you know, with overexercising and pushing yourself too hard or trying to overcompensate for, you know, food choices with exercise. And, but you said that time by time, as you listened to this podcast, as you ran on the treadmill, it helped you work through that mindset a bit more until you got to the point where you could sort of like cut back on it and just work a bit more intuitively, right? And that message just made me tear up. Not gonna lie, guys. I was actually a little teared up because I was like, how is it possible that, like just to connect with so many beautiful souls in so many different beautiful places? And oh, my heart. I was just so, so, so moved by it. I'm sure you guys know that like all of us have imposter syndrome about something, right? Like whether it's your cooking or your grades or your school or your major or the work you do. For me, it's, I mean, it's a lot of things, but a major part of it is this podcast. And I always sell myself short, right? But I need to remember that this is a beautiful, thriving community. And, you know, the work I do, the work, the words of my guests and the work of you guys supporting the show, like it all plays its own part in the overall support and uplift and I don't know, just good vibes, good energy that we're putting out there, right? So this is just my little gratitude for you all listening. Uh, And I'm just really hoping that you're all doing okay, you know? I am excited because on the topic of disordered eating, eating disorder, 360 wellness. As you guys know, it is a major part of my life. I've had such a journey with it, as I know many of you listening have as well. I'm excited to present that today's guest is here to talk about all things, just I think overall recovery. She is Nicole Modic of the one and only Kale Junkie, the queen, 
on Instagram. If you guys don't know her, go check her out, but I'm sure many of you do. And this is just an episode where we walk through her own journey with just disordered eating and self-acceptance and body image and oh my gosh, so many good things. Uh, I just resonated so deeply with a lot of what she said, especially when it just came to the part of just like when you're so deep in the disordered eating or in the cycle that it's just so hard to break it and it becomes such a lifestyle. And that's something that I just really, really connected with. And as you guys know, you know, I had my bout with whether it was anorexia or exercise addiction, but I also had my own struggles with binge eating, not binge eating disorder per se, but binge eating as a coping mechanism per se. And if you really want to dive into that topic of binge eating, binge eating disorder, overeating even, I recorded one with Marissa of at binge nutritionist on Instagram a few back and I highly, highly recommend that one. It opened my eyes to a lot of my own behaviors and of the overall behaviors of society, right? When it comes to diet culture, binge eating, all that not so fun stuff. So today's episode with Nicole is a bit more personal, a bit more one-on-one. We discuss a lot and I really think it will resonate with you guys. So I'm going to wrap up this intro pretty short here, but just know that if you're struggling with any of this, you are not alone. That's why I have these guests on because I want to reflect their stories back to you so that you can see, oh, I do this, this, and this. Maybe I should think about that, right? (laughs) Like maybe I should think about whether this action or this habit or this mindset really supports me uh, or if it's actually a detriment, right? So that's why I share so many stories and I am so thankful for these guests that come on and share and in their wisdom and experience and knowledge. And I just hope that if you guys have a little flicker of hmm, curiosity, interest, or light bulb moment from these episodes that you then continue to dig into that, right? So look into things, maybe reach out, whatever it is. You can always come and talk with me, connect on Instagram at Emily Feichels. I'd love to discuss with you. If you are fortunate enough to have like a therapist or someone like that, definitely always feel free, you know, bring this stuff up with them even a close friend, trusted family member, etc. Like it's so important to talk these things through when they do come up for you because you know, if you're listening to something and it just really gets like kind of in your mind or it really grabs your attention, I kind of think that's like a little intuitive hit to follow that a bit further. And so if that happens, I really hope that you take action on it from this episode. But overall, let us know if it resonates. You can always reach out. Nicole is on Instagram at kalejunkie and I am on there at emilyfeichels. Everything's linked below and we would love to connect, chat, etc. You can send this to a friend, a loved one, a family member. Helps the show and helps anyone you send it to do as well. So I wish you all the best and I hope you enjoy this episode. So without further ado, let's begin. Well, I've been loving your tahini chocolate chip cookies lately, but I mean, who doesn't? But especially lately, they've been on repeat and I made the recipe the one day and I just shared a photo of it on my stories and someone, uh, you know, DM'd me and they're like, what's this recipe? Like, it looks so good. And I was like, oh, it's kale junkie, like her life-changing tahini chocolate chip cookies. And she's like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know how I didn't know her before, but now I'm following her. Her recipes are amazing. And I'm like, hells to the yes, they are. (laughs) Thank you so much. That's so sweet. 
It's just funny because it's, you know, I've followed you for years now. And so to find people that are still like new to you and those amazing cookies, it's always so uh, funny. <laughs> that like makes me so happy. Honestly, I feel like it's the reason or like when I get messages that are like, we, I have an autoimmune disorder and I haven't been able to have like a cookie or something that, you know, just tastes like the real thing or just makes me happy. I'm like, this is why it's not just about a recipe. It's really about like bringing joy to people's lives through things that I don't know that a Mm -hmm. lot of other, you know, a lot of us can kind of take for granted or, you know, eat whatever we want and not have, have any of those restrictions and such. So, yeah. And that's the truth. And so, yeah, that just made me smile. But for anyone else listening that, you know, maybe they follow you, but they don't know your story or they're completely new to you. uh, I guess that's just sort of like wind back the clock. And what we're going to be kind of discussing um, today is just your journey, you know, and my journey and what so many people have experienced with disordered eating and falling into that world, right? And diet culture. So going back a bit, like, when did that start for you? And, you know, how, how did it become such a factor in your life? Yeah. You know, when I think back to, um, you know, for those that don't know me, I have, um, I suffered from bulimia and binge eating for about more than 15 years of my life. I would, I mean, almost gosh, 17 years or so. I was about 15 years old. My background's Armenian. We are a very like close knit, culture. Um, but I was born here, uh, in Los Angeles, born and raised. So I don't speak the language. Um, when I was about 15 years old, my parents decided that they wanted me to go to an Armenian school just to like be around people of my culture, kind of be exposed, um, to that. So I was really excited about it. I was like, great. I get to be around, you know, my own people and learn language maybe and whatnot. Um, but little did I know when I got there, Um, the girls had kind of known each other since kindergarten and it was very clicky. Like I was, um, right away, I was the odd person out. Um, I always like to say like the boys liked me and the girls were really mean. And so it started from being really mean to like actual bullying. Um, and I started sitting by myself in the lunch cafeteria every single day. And Armenian food is really good. It's really decadent at times. And that like, unlike other public schools where you get like a ham and cheese sandwich, we get these like full on Middle Eastern like lunches at an Armenian school. Um, but they're so comforting. And so I literally would gorge myself and have seconds and thirds of the cafeteria food sitting by myself, um, kind of just eating my feelings away. Um, and I was really sad, but I didn't really put two and two together until, um, about a few months into it, I came home one day, my mom, uh, looked at me and said, you know, you've, you've, you've put on some, you've put on some weight, you know, have you noticed or that for me was the, the moment where a light bulb went off for me. And I looked in the mirror and looked at my body and thought that there was something potentially wrong with me, or that there was something unattractive about the way that my body looked since, I had definitely gained weight. I just didn't associate weight gain with being unattractive um, until my mom kind of pointed that out to me. Um, And, you know, and to her defense, you know, she always uh, was on a diet um, growing up, like doing like the cabbage soup diet or the rice diet or all these, the Atkins diet, all these kind of fad diets that came out. Um, So she would always talk about them, but I never um, thought much of it until she had pointed it out in me. 
Um, and so she said, you know, Nicole, do you want to go to Weight Watchers? This, that was what she was doing at the time. She said, you know, I've had success there. You can lose the weight. And so that's kind of like where it started. I started looking in the mirror and thinking, gosh, maybe I'm not okay. Maybe I, maybe I, I do need to lose this weight. Maybe I'm not attractive. Maybe this is, I shouldn't have this much weight on me. Um, so I was excited. I went to Weight Watchers and very quickly they assigned, um, different foods points. So I think I was at the, like the lowest spectrum. I got to eat 18 points a day, um, plus extra if I exercised. So very clear, very quickly, I learned how to manipulate the way that my body looks through counting points. And so it became an obsession and I lost the weight right away, um, within like two months. Um, and that was when I started getting compliments from everyone else in the outside world about, oh my gosh, you look great. You, you've lost weight. You're so skinny. And gosh, I loved and I thrived and I basked in that moment of feeling like I'd accomplished something that was worthy. Um, and it was tied to how my body looked. And so from there, it became like an obsession. Um, and, and over time, I realized that I would start restricting food based on um, stressful situations in my life. So I started using food to cope with um, un my undergraduate. I, I went to NYU. It was stressful. I was away from my family. Um, I started gravitating towards ice cream. I'd go to an ice cream shop every day and I'd get, you know, I'd order two or three cones and ice cream cones. I'd eat one in public, bring the others home and eat it by myself in my room. And very quickly it turned to um, binge eating and it turned into bulimia. It was, a, it was a weird thing. Like every time I would binge, I would feel terrible. Meaning if you're not familiar with what binge eating is, it's when you eat an abnormal amount of food in a short period of time. So when you do that to your body, um, I felt terrible. I was bloated. I was uncomfortable. And the only way to counteract that was through purging. So, and after I learned how to do that, I felt at peace. It was like this really weird, um, peaceful release that I needed in order for me to continue on with like, maybe I'd study for the night, or maybe I would finally go see a friend or I'd do something, but I needed to have that release in order for me to kind of function normally. So that's the short of like how it started. It got worse and worse as I graduated from NYU. Then I decided I wanted to go to law school. And that was the ultimate stressful environment to be in where every single thing and every day feels outside of our control. And it's just a very competitive, very icky almost environment where the only thing I felt like I could wrap my, my hands around was food. And, you know, I worked out a lot. I, I've, I still work out a lot to this day, but never excessive. So even back then in the eating disorder days, I was never an excessive exerciser, but I was very obsessed with keeping my body looking a certain way, both to attract men and also because I was chasing this idea of perfection that I now know doesn't exist. Yeah. It's so crazy kind of going back to the beginning there with that statement. You know, it's not like your mom had the intention of anything yeah. coming from that statement, right? But it just goes to show the power of words that we oftentimes forget about so much. And I had a similar experience where 
you know, I, I was a small child and then things started happening in life, you know, and I was using food as a comfort. It was a big part of our family things. Like, you know, I was definitely a larger child than the doctors prescribed, you know, for my age and my height and all that stuff. And so basically the first time I got told that I was above my BMI and the first time that they really pointed out to me that like that, I remember that mindset shift, just as you were kind of explaining where, where suddenly you just kind of go from existing as like the beautiful child that we are, you know, just so carefree and living. And that shift happens where suddenly like you just see, you see your body as almost, you know, it's, it's like, you have to change and you want to look like this and all these things. So I so resonate with that. And I think a lot of people can, and like I said, I think, you know, and something we can kind of discuss real quick here is like when it comes to something even as like simple as compliments, right? Like how many ways do we say these unintentional words or phrases to people, whether that's with pregnancy or with bloat or with physical compliments. And it's like, it just doesn't help anyone. Do you know what I mean? Like, ugh. Totally. And it's like a, and I guess, and we can talk about this too. Like, you know, you can, now I know that, you know, when I, I work out, I have goals. So I, I, I have goals in terms of, I want my body to look fit and strong, but the word that I use now is always strong versus thin. Whereas before, like the preoccupation was on like this thinness that was so unhealthy for my body Whereas now I go and I say, okay, I can lift this heavy weight or I can do this to like, you know, challenge myself both physically and mentally so that I can be better in life. And the byproduct of that is a a more toned body, a strong body that exudes that physical strength. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but Mm -hmm. yeah. No, I do. I do think so. And I, I get where you're coming from too, because I'm kind of in this place in my life too, where I'm kind of in between, you know, where I want to just accept my body as is, but I also know that mentally, emotionally, and physically, like I can be stronger. So it's kind of like finding that in between. Um, and I guess just like, while we're on this topic, like, you know, currently, how would you describe like your relationship to your body? So it's like, obviously the beginning of this, it was tumultuous and there was a lot of, you know, unsettled feelings and emotions around your body. So nowadays, like, how do you feel in regards to your body? Like, is it something you still struggle with? Is it, Mm -hmm. you know, not so much a struggle? Yeah. I mean, I, I I still have my moments where I look in the mirror and old patterns of thinking, um, pop up. So I, you know, what usually, what it usually happens when it's that time of the month where I'm about to get my period, or it's like the first few days of my period where, yes, I am retaining water. I look in the mirror and I, or I look at, um, you know, my stomach, I've had, you know, two children where, you know, my stomach isn't the same as it used to be. And I have a hard time sometimes when I look in the mirror and say, um, or embracing it as we're always taught to, we see a lot on social media about embracing and being grateful for like what we have. And that is so important and it is key, but at the same time, I think it's also important to like acknowledge where you are, you don't have to love your body a hundred percent of the time to be, to be healed from an eating disorder or to, um, you can still have a, a healthy relationship with your body and not love it all the time. Um, gratitude is key. Yes. But also, um, not faking it or not like if you don't love it one day, that's okay. Because tomorrow you will again. Right. 
um, and not letting a neg a bad day or a bad feeling in your body, um, be tied in any way to your self-worth as a person, because I think that's where, um, it's a fine line. So I might look in the mirror and say, okay, I'm feeling bloated. I'm feeling icky. I'm feeling, you know, like, gosh, I've, I've put on some weight, but I also say to myself, I'm still a badass. I'm still accomplishing every single thing in my life that I want to, that is not tied to my body in any way. And I try to mentally shift to the other things in my life that are going my way or that I do feel positive about to kind of understand or come to that conclusion that like your body really is the least important thing about you. Everything else is so much more important in the grand scheme of things than feeling like you've gained five pounds from water, or maybe you really have gained five, five pounds, whatever it is, um, what you look like and what you, the vessel that you're in is, is literally the least important thing about you. And I also realized too, that like, there are, there are people that, you know, at least when I was dating back in those days, like there are men or women or whatever that do place a lot of emphasis on the physical appearance of somebody and I realize I can't, I just can't be around somebody who is obsessive about, as obsessive about my body, because that's also really unhealthy for me to be um, self-conscious. And I want to be around people that allow my body and allow me to just be and exist as it is. So, yeah. And I mean, the same goes for friendships too, right? I mean, it's like, those people that have influence on you in life, whether it's a relationship, a friendship, um, you know, personal or romantic relationship, friendship, et cetera. I mean, if they're, if you're around people that are, you know, like really, you know, just in that mindset of physical appearance is everything or right. Or they're constantly degrading their physical appearance or whatever. Like sometimes like you just have to question, is this the best mindset and environment for me to be in? Right. Because has like a lot of influence on you. Yeah. Um, just, you know, whether we realize it or not. And uh, I like what you said there before too, I was going to mention, you know, with, when it comes to the body image stuff, I always try to remind myself change is the only constant in life. Yeah. And someone pointed out the other day in a caption, how yes, like change is things are constantly changing. Your body is changing too. And how you feel about your body is going yeah. to constantly change. And I think a lot of people get stuck on that idea of, you know, like, I have to love my body 24 seven or else I'm not X, Y, or Z. And it's like, that's just not the case. Like you're not happy every day. Everyone has down days and the same can go for like how you feel about your body too, just yeah. as how you feel physically, mentally, emotionally. Yeah. And I th- also think, um, you know, towards that, to that point too, like our bodies change several times during the course of our lives. And I think sometimes we get hung up. Like I, I will sometimes still look at old pictures and be like, oh gosh, I was so young and so thin and so this and so that. And like, we are as humans, the the more we realize that we're not static, we're meant to change depending on where we live, depending on the season, depending on life circumstances, our body changes with that. And so the more I've been able to embrace a changing body versus like holding on to an old image of the past, which doesn't serve me anymore. It has been really freeing. And also there was consequences to that. For me, I lost my period for that whole time, 15, over 15 years. And although I was never, um, you know, anorexic or I never was a noticeably or physically noticeably underweight 
um, like nobody could look at me from the outside and say, oh, she has an eating disorder. Or there's something definitely wrong. Whatever weight I was, it was still too low for my own body structure. Um, nothing is worth losing, losing that. That was like, you know, I thought even after I started healing, I thought, gosh, if I never get my period back from the damage that I caused to my body, never going to be able to have children one day. It's like, there's all these consequences that, that, um, you know, are really emotional, especially as a woman that, you know, even though at the time I didn't want to have children, I thought after I met the love of my life. And now that I have Greg, I was like, well, yeah, I do want children. And now I ruined my body, um, really messed everything up. So, so yeah, so I don't want to go back or cling back, cling to those, uh, the images of the past because the past might have been a more appealing body to society standards, but it was not um, physically healthy for me, mentally or physically. Yeah. I almost wish those old photos, you know, of us, I'm speaking in a general term would have the little like um, thought bubble with what our mental health was at the time, because I think like the other aspect of it is also like, we look back at those photos and it's like, oh, I would kill to look like that again. And it's like, okay, but if I really think about it, like I was not in a good mental, emotional space then, or even if it wasn't that it was like, I was, I was working myself to the bone every day. Right. Or I was obsessive with fitness, et cetera. Like, um, and then I love that you said that about how, you know, you weren't noticeably underweight, you know, health-wise by a health professional, you were probably prime yet. Like, your body still just wasn't comfortable enough to allow that like natural menstruation process to happen. And I same way, like I'm 21 and I've only had like a few actual, like, you know, periods in my life and I'm still working to get that back. And it's such a common issue. And it's like, whether you want to have kids or not, like when it comes to bone density, like hormone levels, everything like hormones affect so much in your body. And I don't know, to just to screw that all up um, for this like ideal of diet culture. Like once you start to think about it, I think it can be like a big prompt to like, you know, kick your ass into gear and start like working towards recovery. Cause it's, it's a lot, you know, it is. I mean, I do think it's tied to definitely mental health stuff too, depression, anxiety, um, sex drive. Like you don't have any desire. Like you just don't feel like a sexual being. Like you don't feel, have those desires. And that's like, that's hard. Like, especially once you start having an intimate relationship where like you never want to be intimate with somebody because your body, your your hormones just aren't there. Um, you might, you know, be really attracted to them, but you just can't get into that moment because your hormones are off. And it's just, it, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. It's almost a matter of perspective, right? Like it can be so easy to get lost in the cycle of thoughts of disordered eating or such. And once you have perspective of, you know, someone else entering your life or another, or like some change happening, sometimes it can build that um, self-awareness in that sense. And kind of on that idea of perspective and seeing things as they are. um, I know we've been talking for a little bit here about, you know, some of these after phases and effects of recovery and choosing to work on yourself. But, you know, going back to that moment, like, was there anything in particular that really prompted you to say, like, this is an issue. I need help. I actually want to work on recovery. Yeah. 
Yeah, there was a couple times. So like, I definitely wanted to recover multiple times and I tried and then I would fail and I would try like, oh, I'd go a day without binging and think that I was like healed. And um, then something would happen like a stressful day at school or a fight with my mom or something would happen that would prompt me to like turn to food again. Um, one day, one of the last times in particular was I had gone out to dinner with a girlfriend and I came back home and I think I'd ordered this salad that was so yummy and so decadent. I remember, I still remember it. It was so good. Um, but I came home and I felt so guilty for, um, like eating this salad and some dessert that I tried to make myself throw up in the bathroom and it wouldn't come up and it wouldn't come up. And my head started throbbing. So my head, like my head was pounding. Like it was the weirdest feeling of like where the actual, your brain inside your head was like pressing against the skull. I don't even know how else to describe it, but my vision started getting a little bit cloudy and I got really scared. So I was like, Oh my God, like if I don't stop this, I am going to die. Like I need help and I don't know where to turn. And this was before like social media was a thing. It was before Instagram, um, was a thing. It was before, um, like coaching was a big thing at the time. It was like, I would Google and all I would find online are these outpatient treatment centers that seemed very archaic and old and like old school. And that really didn't seem like it would be the best fit for me. Um, and also for my lifestyle, meaning I was in law school or I was, um, practicing law where like, I couldn't take months out of my life to go do this. Um, so after that incident, um, I definitely cut back on the amount that I was binging and purging, but I definitely still had an eating disorder. Um, I then met Greg, uh, my husband, my now husband, um, he had no idea I had this eating disorder. We had a full, like, you know, regular relationship where you fell in love. We got married. He still had no idea. And I almost feel like, um, you know, we talk about it now. It's like trust is the foundation of every relationship. And when I look back, I think, gosh, like I wasn't completely, um, honest with him about like a really big part of my life that, um, was a not just, it wasn't just a small part of my life. It was like everything that I did in my life revolved around food, but he didn't know it. Um, so kind of in some ways, I feel like I was living this lie. So one day after I did manage to get pregnant, that was, I, I never got my period back. I only got preg I only got, was able to get pregnant with a fertility drug, um, called Clomid, which helped my body ovulate. Once that happened, I was able to have the second child, but that's a, a different topic. But after I had my first, oh wait, no. Okay. So we moved to San Francisco. We get married. We moved to San Francisco. Um, we move into a house and I'll never forget. He, Greg was watching TV um, as he usually does at night. And I had this bad habit of getting candy and cookies and um, all sorts of food and going into the bedroom and closing the door and sitting in bed and eating this one night, I didn't have any sweets in the house. All that was there was this like nasty loaf of like Alvarado street bread, which wasn't even like a good, like sourdough loaf or something that like you would think is like so crave worthy, but I was desperate. And so I took that loaf of bread and I went into the, um, snuck it under my shirt and kind of went into the bedroom, sat in bed and was eating these slices, reading the magazine. And, um, all of a sudden, like the door, like 
opened to the bedroom and like, I was so stunned the, I dropped the magazine or, or I, I dropped it. And then he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, nothing, nothing, you know, reading, hanging out. He's like, what's going on in here? He kind of comes over closer to the bed and I'm like mortified because I'm like, if he pulls the sheets up, he's going to see this loaf of bread. So he picks up the magazine that I had dropped on the floor. And when he picked it up, there was like a half eaten piece of bread that fell onto the floor. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, eating. And then he lifts up the covers and then there's like this loaf of bread. And he's like, he's like, you know, if you want to have that, you, you can, you, you can come out here and eat that. You don't have to hide that. And I was like, I was mortified. I mean, I like was like outed by the person that I love more than anything. And I think I took great pride in hiding from him, but he was also very um, like, supportive. And he just said, you know, like tried to normalize, like, if you want to have the bread, come out, you can sit at the table, you can eat it. I'm not judging you however many you want, whatever makes you like feel, um, feel full and satiated and, um, enough for you. He's like, I'm not judging you. Um, but oddly it was that moment where I felt like my secret was no longer a secret. Um, and like this weight had been lifted off my shoulders that, I was finally able to like break free of it and decide and think to myself like, okay, it's not a secret. I'm not hiding anything anymore from the number one person in my life that I love the most. Now, where do I go from here? Um, so that was when I found a therapist that I really connected with here in San Francisco. I was still practicing law at the time. So I'd leave, um, leave work, go to him a couple times a week. Um, cause once a week just like, wasn't enough. I felt like I needed to go twice. Um, I did a yoga teacher training, even though I would sneak out of my law office early and go to the yoga teacher training. I would like have all these like sneak out, like the lawyers wouldn't even know where I was. And it was like the weirdest thing, but I'm like, I still had to make money and I still had to have a career, but I, the reason I did the yoga teacher training was, um, because I wanted to learn one, how to meditate one, how to focus on things other than food, how to be at peace in my body more. So it was that. And then there was this book that I had read. I'm not sure if you've heard me talk about it before, but it's called brain over binge by Katherine Hansen. It's a book that actually, even though I was going to therapy as part of my healing, she doesn't believe in therapy as, as the, the healer, but she believes that there's, um, something inside your brain that triggers the urge to binge and that it's not necessarily about all these emotional traumas or childhood traumas or things, but there's literally something in your brain, um, that triggers this urge to binge that it's purely biological. So I kind of took bits and pieces from her book, the therapy, the yoga teacher training, and also like talking about it more, um, to friends. I started kind of just in normal conversations say like, Oh, you know, I had an eating disorder. I have an eating disorder. I'm struggling with food right now. And kind of like getting into this habit of just not being embarrassed about it anymore. And those were the things that started making it a lifestyle and, or, um, a healing lifestyle versus like, um, there was no one day I woke up and I was healed. It's like, it's an ongoing thing that, um, where now I, I just really don't, I'm not preoccupied with food 24 seven, even though I'm around food 24 seven, if that makes sense. No, there's, 
such a difference when you can find that peace with food where you're around it, but you're no longer constantly thinking about it. So I a hundred percent get that. And kind of as a summation with this all this morning, I actually just interviewed a binge eating disorder specialist and it was, yeah, it just like blew my mind. This correlated so well, but um, it blew my mind because we were discussing it and just how habitual the entire thing is, right? Like it's, you know, I think the term, you know, binge and everything can be thrown around very lightly, but it is such a compulsive, habitual, almost like lifestyle in itself. Yeah. And it does take, you know, work and commitment and so much. And I love that you found like your own sort of pathway to recovery through the different aspects, right? Because there's, there is the mental side of things where it's like, you might need to have that therapist or someone to talk to about it, but there are also lifestyle triggers and cues and other ways that kind of get your mind in that binge mindset. And so to find a way to sort of work on them all and understand them all and build awareness, like how great of a way to start working on that healing journey. And I guess like for you personally, like when did you start to feel like your relationship to food like that you could trust yourself around food again, because I love what you said there about trust and relationships. And that's something that she and I discussed this morning is how there's also trusting your body. There's trusting yourself around food. You know, there's so many avenues that trust plays in our life. So when did you start to feel yourself being like, just comfortable around food again? You know, it's interesting. So I had, I had foods that I called my trigger foods, which were the ones that, uh, I binged on all the time, like go-tos. And, um, I could definitely not keep those in my house for a lot, for many years. Um, when I started my healing process, I think when I finally realized like, I'm okay, I'm not obsessed with food anymore was when I could start having those, those former trigger foods in my house at all times and never be triggered by them anymore. They simply are just foods that exist. And, you know, for me, that was, it was mostly ice cream. I would say the number one food, the number one trigger food for me was ice cream, big gallons of ice cream, vegan ice cream, full fat, whatever it was. Like, I think it's because it's a food that was really easy for me to, to binge and purge at the same time that I kept it around and I couldn't keep it around. Anytime something felt very stressful to me, that was my go-to. So now I'm able to have ice cream in the house. It sits there. And to be honest, it doesn't like, I'm not really called to it that much anymore. If my boys want to have some ice cream, maybe I'll have a scoop with them. But this obsession that I had with food and also to answer the question too, like, um, I don't feel compelled to eat in private anymore. Like those days of like going into the bedroom and taking, you know, candies and breads and hiding. I just don't, like, I guess like I love food still cause that's my job and I love it, but I'm not, I'm not obsessed with it anymore. Like I can eat mm-hmm. something and if it's really good, I'll still go back for seconds, maybe thirds, but not in an unhealthy way where I'm like, obs- I don't know. It's just, it's just, I it think, is. yeah, I think the word obsessed is correct uh, is what I would say too. Cause I've had my own, you know, I didn't have a binge eating disorder, but I did experience binge eating and it was triggered by certain events in life, certain, you know, experiences. And the difference between those foods that you 
it, I mean, it is like an obsession, right? It's like a compulsion. You can feel out of control. As you said, like you didn't even want to have them in your house to go from that to being able to have these foods in your life and choose, you know, when they sound good and when you actually want them, like that is such a huge difference. And I think it goes to that, you know, cycle that a lot of people can get in of the restrict to binge cycle. And I mean, looking at your story, you can see where like all those years, that you, all the time that you restricted, you know, when you were first getting into diet world and everything to then, you know, get into the binges, like it, it can make sense. And, um, something I kind of started to come to terms with in the past two years was how even that could happen with like certain quote unquote, like health alternatives. Right. And so like, have you had any experience with that where it was like, you know, healthy swaps or healthy alternatives still acting as almost a form of restriction in a sense. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I will say like, you know, as I've, as I've kind of evolved my own relationship with food, something I noticed recent, even recently that I do is that even with some of my recipes, I'll say, um, like it's a healthy, healthy soup or healthy, um, mac and cheese or healthy, this or health. Like I am trying to move away from using different descriptive terms to label food. So like, obviously the, the obvious ones are good and bad, right? If food isn't good or bad, it just is food, right? So we're giving, we're giving it, um, we're labeling it. Whereas one is, one is something to eat and one is something that we shouldn't eat, but also the same thing applies to like healthy. And so now I'm more uh, aware of changing my own verbiage when it comes to even describing my own food. So, um, or even as I write my book and I think about, um, how I just talk about food, whereas I want to say the word healthy, but really I, the right way to describe it is there is a nutrition, a more nutritious versus like, okay, all foods are on limits, right? I don't ever want to be, um, but I catch myself saying like, oh, this, you know, here's some healthy brownies or some healthy treats. When the reality is, is that it, it healthy means that it's okay to eat. And then the alternative is unhealthy where the reality is, is that the recipes that I create, some of them are more nutritious for you than something that I don't know. So that's kind of one thing that I'm personally working on is changing, getting rid of like very subtle things, remnants of diet culture that are still in my vocabulary. Um, and in the way that I approach food. Yeah. I just have to say that makes me so, so, so happy to hear because that's the specialist. We were discussing the same thing this morning, how she, you know, over time in her own journey, moved from saying healthy to yes, some foods are more nutritionally dense. Some are less nutritionally dense, but food is food. And the fact that you are being mindful and aware and implementing those changes into your business. Like, I just have to say like, that is phenomenal because we all know, you know, what words and what phrase phrases get the most clicks. You know, like they get the most attention. Yeah, yeah. You can label things, you know, when it comes down to basic SEO, anything like that, even Instagram captions, yeah. there are the words, the words that diet culture has taught us and that we've picked up through this entire experience that get more attention. And especially as someone like, you know, your Instagram, the blog, everything that you're doing is part of your business to, still make those changes, even knowing that like, 
I mean, I know you're not doing like you're doing it because you actually care. It's a moral decision, but I just have to say like, that makes me so, so happy. And like another reason to just love you. So <laughs> I think it's important. Like we all like, you know, I'm not a, um, you know, binge eating expert or I'm not a, you know, therapist in any way. So I think it's like, it's also nice to know that we're all just like, even on our own journeys, we're all sort of improving and trying to, um, make better changes and be more self-aware as we grow so that we can, um, share that information with others. I think probably when I started talking my eat, about my eating disorder, uh, recovery in my journey, I was still labeling foods as good as good and bad because I didn't know any, any different. Um, but yeah, you know, we grow and evolve over time and, and yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it's something I still, yeah. I mean, you catch yourself doing and they're deep ingrained and once more coming down to environment, you know, when that's all around you. So, um, well, overall you are just, I just absolutely adore you from the recipes to the content, to everything you share. Um, yeah. you're just so real and, you know, always Thank out there so much. I appreciate yes. that. Oh my gosh. Of course. Um, I just, I'm excited for everyone to listen and I know they'll resonate. So where can they find you learn more, find these delicious recipes, um, and just follow along your journey. Yes. Well, you can definitely find me on Instagram. I feel like it is my home away from home <laughs> and my handle is at kale junkie. You will very rarely see kale, but I did release a new recipe for a kale salad, which is probably the best kale salad in the whole world. I know that that sounds like a big <laughs> statement, but it is so good. Um, and then on my blog is kalejunkie.com. And I'm also on TikTok doing, I don't know quite what yet, but it's fun. And I'm I love you on TikTok. I love it. Oh my God. The one you posted today about, um, brand deals. <laughs> I just like, I love everything. <laughs> you know what? It makes me laugh and it makes me like not take myself so seriously in a world that is so damn serious sometimes. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah.